Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Interlude Podcast. You're listening to episode 73, a conversation with Chance Osborne. Chance was diagnosed with a BRCA1 mutation around the age of 19 after her mother had passed away several years prior due to ovarian cancer. When she was 24 years old, earlier in 2021, she felt a cyst in her breast. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, she did have a delay in her workup. And when she ultimately went to seek medical attention, she was told, you're too young, we'll give you an antibiotic. But Chance persisted in listening to her body and advocating for herself. She found a doctor that would listen to her and she went for imaging. On today's episode, Chance talks about being diagnosed with stage two triple negative breast cancer and how she reacted when the first doctor said to her, you'll be lucky if you live to see 30. She talks about her treatment over the past year, the challenges and the difficulties that she's faced and the lessons that she's learned over the last year. And with that, it is my honor to welcome Chance Osborne to the Interlude Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Eleanor Toplinski, and I am a board-certified medical oncologist specializing in the treatment of breast and gynecologic cancers. On this podcast, we talk about anything and everything related to the cancer journey, the treatment, and life after cancer. As a reminder, the information discussed on this podcast is not meant to serve as medical advice. Any specific medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. Thanks for joining me today, Chance. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Can you start by telling the listeners a little bit about who you are and your story so far? (laughs) Yeah, so uh, my name is Chance and I'm 25 years old now. I just turned 25 a couple of weeks ago. Um, but the, the whole journey started back in March of this year where, well, actually it started closer to the end of January, beginning of February, um, when I was, uh, laying on the beach, enjoying my beach time, which is one of my favorite places to be. And, uh, kind of felt like a weird sharp pain in my chest. And I was like, not a problem. It's okay. Um, ignored it, moved on with my day went back to the beach the same day. I was like, okay, maybe, you know, whatever. So laid, laid on the beach again. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this really hurts. So I was looking for seashells. Maybe I was laying on a weird part of the beach. No, nothing. Uh, but then I felt what felt like a sharp seashell under my skin. And I immediately knew that it was something bad because, um, I found out when I was 18 years old, um, or maybe I was 19, that I was BRCA1 positive. So I carried the, you know, the genetic mutation that makes me more susceptible to these things. Um, and I found that out because my mom passed away in 2011 from ovarian cancer. Um, and so then once I turned 18, 19, I got really serious about preventative screening and doing everything I can. Um, and so anyways, fast forward back to the story I was just telling, and uh, I knew something was wrong, right? Internally, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't want to believe it. So I just kept doing life. Uh, I got back to Indiana and I was like, you know, like there are COVID patients that need to be seen. Like my cyst is what I kept calling it will go away. 
41 days later, it was only getting bigger and harder and more painful. So I was like, ah, mm, okay, time to face the truth. I'm going to call. So I call first doctor is like, nope, you're too young. I can give you an antibiotic. I can this, that, or the other. And I didn't even meet with that doctor uh, because I knew what I knew. And uh, long story short, went to my primary care doctor, uh, who is now my primary care doctor, and immediately was sent for ultrasounds. Ultrasound turned into mammogram. Mammogram turned into ultrasound again. Uh, and uh, this this part of the story, I will never forget. I will never forget. Uh, they did all the scans. No one is saying anything. They're all very quiet. And uh, they take me in a little room, you know, and the doctor, uh, who I'm going to leave his name out just because, um, it, he was actually the radiologist. And he looks at me, and then he looks at this paper he's holding, and he looks at me again, and he goes, he goes, I've seen this, whatever, it was a Birads 5, or whatever the highest it, it is, you know, your likelihood of cancer is very high, da 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 and because of your age and your genetic mutation, I'm assuming it's XYZ, and then he said to me, you'll be lucky if you live to see 30. And he walks out of the room. I had no clue what that meant. I didn't know what he was referring to because at the time, breast cancer was breast cancer to me. You have breast cancer or you don't. There's not a whole bunch of subtypes. So I kind of just brushed that off. Fast forward, I get the biopsy, uh, which I was told was gonna take seven to 10 days. Uh, three days later, I get the call that it is not only breast cancer, but it is triple negative breast cancer. Um, and so that was on March 15th, April 1st, I got my port place and April 2nd, I had my first round of chemotherapy. That's, that's whirlwind. Yeah. So, you know, you know, let's kind of backtrack for a little bit, yeah. right? So you know that you're at risk for breast cancer. Yes. Um, and when he said to you those words, which is, I mean, I am sorry, that's, yeah is not okay. Um, when they said that to you, kind of, what did you do next? Not right in the moment because you're stunned and you don't know how to react. When you went home, did you Google? Like, did you go online, right? I mean, I think so many of us, when people are diagnosed, there's, you're, you're panicked, you're overwhelmed, you're scared, you're anxious, and people turn to the internet, which, you know, is good and bad. But, but what did you do? Yeah, so I actually um, was doing all this testing unbeknownst to my family. Uh, Because of my mom passing, I didn't want to scare anybody. You know, I kind of wanted to keep it as low key as I could. But so, of course, I turned to Google. That's the only resource I had. And I typed in what breast cancer kills you within five years. And I mean, unfortunately, triple negative breast cancer showed up in that search. It didn't state that sentence, but it showed up in the search. And so, I researched triple negative. I researched hormone positive, but HER2 negative. I, I researched every different kind. And then I read the, um, you're more likely to get triple negative if, and it's, you know, under 40, check. BRCA1 positive, check. And I, and at that point, I really dove deep into this triple negative breast cancer world, um, which would end up, I don't think I left my bed for days. I mean, I accepted defeat. I accepted, I, I said out loud at one point, I think he's right. I don't think he was joking. And that's just kind of the mindset that I stayed in for many, many, many weeks, many weeks. 
And how did you cope with those mental health challenges? Or did you not? Did you kind of ignore them? Yeah, no. So I actually had just got to a really good place in my own mental health where I felt in control and I felt empowered and I was no longer on anxiety medication or anything. And so I was in a really good headspace, I thought. Um, And this kind of just felt like I was knocked back down to the beginning of what I started working through 10 years ago when my mom died. Um, So I, without even knowing what kind of cancer it was, I joined every triple negative breast cancer support group I could find, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, everything, because I just had a feeling. I don't know. I just had a feeling. And um, that actually made it worse. (laughs) Um, You know, I mean, you're very active on social media and, and, you know, there's a, a lot of questions and answers and the answers are most of the time opinions. And, and so it was very, very discomforting, but I dove headfirst into that. Um, But to answer your question, the thing that really helped me cope is when I got the call of um, confirming it was triple negative and and all that stuff. Um, And what I was comforted by is when I first met with my um, uh, oncologist, he told me, only believe what I and other doctors are telling you. He said, you are free to roam. You are free to search. You are free to get opinions. He said, but I need you to trust your medical team. And so, yeah, so he said, uh, you know, trust your medical team, you know, this, that, and the other. And I took that at face value and I don't, I mean, obviously I've had my moments in between then and now, but every question I ended up having, everything like that, I would reach out to him or my breast surgeon or someone on my team for clarification or understanding. And I think that's really important because a lot of what you hear about on social media is people's individual experiences and, and no one cancer is the same, right? Triple negative cancers are going to behave very differently, even if they're the same kind of triple negative cancer. And so it is important to kind of take what you see online at face value, you know, and and not interpret it to be, okay, this is applying to me. Um, and to reach out to your medical team and say, okay, I saw this, I'm thinking about, you know, tell me and ask those questions. Yeah, exactly. And let's, before we talk about chemo, um, so you're 25, was there a conversation, you were 24 at the time, was there a conversation about fertility? Um, Yes, there was. Um, It was a very brief, very brief conversation because I have never wanted to birth my own children ever since I found out that I was BRCA1 positive. I know there's science and things where you can kind of pick and do the thing, um, but I work in foster care. And so I see thousands of children needing homes and that's always where my heart's been. So yes, the conversation happened. Um, I quickly explained to them what I wanted to do. Being 24, they're like, are you sure? And I'm like, no, I'm really sure. And, you know, they told me to go home and think about it. And I came back and I was still very sure. So it was a brief conversation. There wasn't talk of medication or anything like that. But I think that you had the conversation because, and, you know, for you, it wasn't, you, you know, you had made up your mind that you didn't want to go down that road, which is, you know, important. Tell us what chemo was like. And, and so you were working in foster care. What do you do? 
So I work for a, um, uh, it's kind of kind of hard to explain. So I don't work for the Department of Child Services, like a lot of people think, um, but I do work with them. So I work for the licensing agency. So we place the children. DCS calls us and says, hey, do you have a home? We then let them know and we place the children and um, do ongoing visits with them to ensure they're being taken care of. And when you started chemotherapy, did you work during chemo? I sure did. I missed two days of work the entire time. So what was that like? Oh, oh. Oh, so I did, um, my chemo experience was very abnormal. Uh, not that any experience should be normal, but mine was exceptionally abnormal. I did four rounds of adriamycin and cytoxin, which is very common. Um, very sick, very, very, very sick. So I did a lot of work from home, uh, which was really awesome just very sick, very nauseous. I lost a lot of weight. My, my white blood cells, my red blood, everything was tanking and crashing. And I really didn't think I was going to make it through it, but I did. So I completed four rounds of that. And then I switched to quote unquote, the gold standard of Taxol, right? So I did three rounds of Taxol and then they integrated carboplatin, um, with the BRCA1 gene and everything. That's what my oncologist decided to do. So on the fourth round, of Taxol, they added Carbo. Um, I was in treatment and I went into AFib really bad, uh, like 200 plus beats per minute with my heart. So we thought it was a Taxol issue. I don't know. I stopped Taxol. Okay. So that's where that story ends. I was completely fine. I was a little tired, maybe a little fatigued, but nothing compared to what I initially did. Fast forward another couple of days and my heart did that thing again. So long story short, my port had migrated um, and was now in my tricuspid valve, which is nowhere near where it's supposed to Mm -hmm. be, as you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did surgery to remove my port. Uh, They didn't even mess with Taxol again. And I completed three more dense dose rounds of carboplatin. Um, And that last dose was on August 6th of this year. And then you had surgery? I did. Yep. So I had a double mastectomy. Um, with um, expanders that was on August 30th. Again, this experience was unique as well. So that was August 30th. Things were great. Uh, I was really impressed with uh, the pain management and and everything like that. Um, September 4th rolls around and I noticed that my chest just doesn't look right. Outside of the beating it just went through and having this foreign object in it, I mean, my nipples were turning a weird color. My chest was red. So sent a picture uh, that night. They had me in for emergency surgery and removed the expanders. I was having an allergic reaction to the expanders. They took those out. I didn't want them back in. Um, Everything was going well. And then September 14th rolls around and I had a hematoma, which is super strange, 15 days post-surgery. Uh, but I did. And so I had to have yet another emergency surgery for them to fix that. Stop that. The hematoma was in the chest. Yeah. It was in my chest wall. Mm -hmm. Um, not my chest wall. Sorry. My, uh, like right by my pectoral muscle. Um, so I've had three surgeries since August 30th. Hopefully no more surgeries of that kind for now. And hopefully everything goes smoothly. Now, are you done or is there more treatment coming? Yeah, so there's uh, quite a bit 
coming. So actually on um, this Friday, the 8th, I have a preventative hysterectomy. Um, so I'll be getting that. And then just to um, clarify, you're going to get your over because the hysterectomy would be getting your uterus out. So you're getting your ovaries out and getting a, they, it's called, they said radical hysterectomy. So they're going to get everything's coming in all the things. Yep. So I'm doing that. Once I heal from that, I have 30 rounds of radiation, um, because I did not achieve a pathological complete response at the time of surgery. I had four millimeters left. So I will do 30 rounds of radiation. Once that is over, I will then go on um, Limparza for a year. Yeah. So that's-, that's a brand new approval. So it's yeah. a great thing that you'll be able to get it. Yeah, I'm very thankful. Very mm-hmm. thankful. Uh, and so, you know, one of the things, I mean, I, getting breast cancer at any age is challenging, mm-hmm. but being diagnosed at such a young age has its own very unique challenges, you know, and I think partly I'm sure, I mean, social media has changed this, right? Cause you're able to connect with people, your own age and people who've gotten through this, I'm sure, you know, but can you talk a little bit about what it's been like for you being diagnosed at a young age and, you know, the support and struggles and all of that? Yeah, it's been, um, it's, it's been, <laughs> I don't really have a word for it. It's been really hard. Honestly, it's been really, really hard. Um, a lot of that stems from more than anything. I just want to be my age. I just want to be 25. Um, I want to be, you know, well, I guess not in the world of COVID, but I want to be going on these trips and going out to dinners and visiting friends and, and whatever, things like that. Um, but I think it's been a very weird roller coaster. Okay. So, uh, when I was first diagnosed, it was, you know, team chance, rally, rally, rally. We're all here. We're, and they were great. I mean, they, I had amazing support through the whole thing, but then you get to the point of, uh, no more chemo, no more surgery. People, my age specifically think, well, you're, you're fixed, you're cured, you're healthy, you're fine. And then they kind of start to slowly dissipate. And this is an open and honest conversation I've had with all of my friends. And so this is not going to come off as anything new, but I think the hardest thing is that you have two, and again, I think this could be for any cancer patient, right? But you have two expectations. You have the expectation to stay alive, (laughs) right? But then you also have the expectation to do all of the things that 25 year olds are doing, whatever that looks like for, for specific people in their friend group. And so it kind of got to the point where I just stopped engaging in certain conversations because my excuse always was, I'm too sick. I'm too tired. My white blood cell count isn't good enough. This you're not vaccinated. There's no, whatever it ended up being, it just has been very hard socially. Um, because you are so used to, or at least myself personally, I'm so used to, you know, I'm an avid rock climber, mountain biker, running, jogging, hiking, and I can't do any of that right now. And so honestly, cancer has shown me one, who my friends are, which is not a negative thing. I think it happened, you know, everything happens on purpose, but two, like shows me what I, I don't know how to say it, like what support means to me, right? So I was a very busy body, very socially outgoing person. 
prior to cancer. And now that I can't do a lot of those things, I don't talk to those people anymore. And um, it has really shown me that I have a very solid core group of people that if I'm sick or healthy, if I'm bald or if I have hair, if I can go out or stay in, that they're still here and they're still supportive and they're still encouraging. Um, so in short, it has been extremely hard socially and mentally on top of everything else. You know, it's that fear of missing out thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You kind of sit back and watch life happen. And, and more than anything, it's made me angrier than I already was because that's, oh, I should be doing that too, but I'm not because of this. And so it's been, it's been hard and I think it'll probably always be hard. Um, but I'm sure with time that hard will be become less hard uh, and I'll figure out, you know, where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing. And how do you reconcile that, you know, that fear of missing out and that wanting to be 25 and wanting to do things that all these people your age are getting to do and you are not doing, you know, how do you begin to process that? Honestly, I'm still, I'm still processing it. Um, it's something I, I, my therapist and I talk about weekly, uh, because I don't really think that there's ever going to be like an aha moment. Um, but something that really helps put things into perspective for me is the truth of the matter is I could go do all of these things, right? I could go drink. I could go to parties. I could go on trips. I could, but what long-term effect is that going to have on me? You know? And so the thing that I always remind myself is that I'm missing out now so I don't have to miss out later. Mm -hmm. And that I just, sometimes I have to say that out loud over and over and over again in order. Sometimes I have to say that over and over and over again, just to get myself through the day, honestly. And sometimes there is no reconciliation. It just, you sit in the anger, you sit in the sadness, and then you have to move on. You just have to. I really like that. Like that you have to sit in it because so often you hear, oh, you're going to be fine. Everything's okay. Everything's going to be fine. And it's not, you know, it may be, it will be one day, but in the moment yeah. it, it's not fine. And there are so many emotions and so many feelings. And I really like that you are kind of verbalizing the importance of feeling those emotions and oh, not kind of wishing them away. Absolutely. Yeah. I think for me, and I'm glad you actually just said that because that's something I'm currently reflecting on a lot is quite honestly, things will probably never be fine. Again, my standard of fine, right? Prior to cancer, my version of fine was X, Y, Z. Now my version of fine is just being alive and enjoying simple, simple, simple things. Um, But having to make that change so quickly and so young has been really hard. And so I just remind myself of the things that are true. uh, and, And that is that I have no control over this, the cancer, honestly, I mean, it, it, I have no control over it. I didn't ask for this. I didn't do anything to make this happen to me. Um, and so I just, again, I remind myself of the things that I know that are true and then I move on. I like that. And you're right. I mean, there's always going to be a pre-cancer and Mm -hmm. post-cancer, right? Mm -hmm. What do you say to those people that, you know, maybe you don't have as much in common with anymore, or they're stressing out about minuscule things that to you now are, you're kind of like, well, this isn't important, right? I'm fighting yeah. for my, I'm dealing with like my life here. So yeah. how do you have that conversation? Because a lot of people in their twenties have never had to 
have someone go through this, right? They don't have the experience of a loved one or a close friend going through treatment and going through hard things. Uh, so, so how do you open that door to that, have that conversation? So I take one of two routes and sometimes I do them in conjunction with one another. Um, Cause a lot of the times my friends will do one of two things, friends and family. They'll come to me and they'll complain, 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 complain about things that are relatively small or they won't come to me because they feel like I can't handle it because of what's going on in my own life. So it's kind of a twofold thing. Uh, the way that I approach it and what's been really effective for me is I remind them that no matter how small their hard thing is, it's still hard. Just because my hard thing might be big, bigger, doesn't make their hard thing any less hard. I love that. Yeah. And I think it's I so that. You know, I think it's so important because again, just like the word fine, the definition of hard is different for everybody. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had a friend to go through a breakup the other week and that was life threatening, world shattering for her. Just like the cancer is for me, it just looks different. Would a breakup be life threatening and earth shattering for me? No, but for her it was. And so I wanted to remind her that that's okay that she comes to me with that information. And, but at the same time, I have friends specifically friends who talk poorly about their parents. I'm very passionate about stopping that conversation. Um, they are allowed the space around me to vent and rant and be frustrated with their parents, but talking poorly about them as a human being, I remove myself. Mm -hmm. um, just that goes with losing my mom when I was 15 years old. Um, but more so for me personally, it's when they complain about, I don't know, getting their order wrong at a restaurant or their Starbucks coffee order is messed up or there's not a shoe that they want in stock. I don't ever say to them, well, I have cancer. So you better be, you know, I never do that. But what I try to do is put it into perspective for them that, and I validate first, like I can understand why this is frustrating. I can understand why you are upset. However, remind yourself of the things that are important to you. Is your Starbucks order getting messed up going to completely change the trajectory of your life? No. But tomorrow you could wake up and have something catastrophic like cancer change the entire vision that you had for yourself. And so I never try to do a, well, you this, me that, but rather in those moments where they just are relentless and they're complaining, honestly, is what, is what it is. When they're relentless in that, I kind of like to remind them of the things that matter and shoes and Starbucks and restaurants and clothes are not it. Um, and it's, again, that kind of brings my age into it. For a lot of 25 year olds, that is the most important thing to them, materialistic things. And um, and so that's kind of where I'm at is I, I don't even want to use the word loss because I don't really consider it a loss. I think that those people were in my life when they were supposed to be, and they are leaving when they are supposed to be, um, is I just kind of see what people value. And it makes it really easy for me to surround myself with people who value the same things as me. Um, and it lessens those conversations of the complaints and the my hard versus their hard, because they um, kind of see life how I do, with, thankfully, without a cancer diagnosis. You know, two things that you said that really resonate. One is removing yourself from the conversation. Mm -hmm. It is okay to do that. You know, I have patients who've come to me and they've said, you know, so 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 and so just got diagnosed with uh, cancer, mm -hmm. and they're reaching out to me, and I, it's too triggering for me. I can't 
be there for them, right? I want to, I want to help, but I can't. And I think, and I always tell people, it's okay to tell them exactly that and say mm-hmm. that, you know what, I can't be a part of this right now because it's yeah, too yeah. hard for me. Um, and I'm sure that for you, being diagnosed at so young, you probably will have a lot more of those calls, right? Unfortunately, as time goes on. Um, but then the other, the other thing that you said too about people being in your life only for certain points. I think we all expect people to be in our life always. Right. And that's not necessarily true. It doesn't need to be true. No, no. I think uh, kind of going to those two things that you just said, like I, thankfully, um, I feel very capable of having those conversations with people. I've actually, uh, as you know, was I'm very open with my story and I'm very open to sharing my story if that means that it's going to help someone else. Um And so I get a lot of people, I mean, I've had someone as young as 19 and I've had, you know, someone in their sixties and seventies kind of come to me and ask. And thankfully, as of right now, I feel capable of having those conversations. Um, But the conversations that I don't feel capable of having are the ones where they um, ask me about, are you scared? Are you scared of dying? Are you scared of this? Those are the conversations I can't participate in because I'm not ready. Mm -hmm. Um, But then as for the people coming and going, I've always been a firm believer. And I think, again, when my mom passed away, it really started that process in my head. But I'm a firm believer that you're going to have people come into your life and those same people are going to leave your life on, you know, with intention, on purpose, because their job in your life has been completed. And and that doesn't mean that they can't come back. That just means for it's like a character in a movie. Just because they leave the scene doesn't mean they're not going to come back at the end, mm-hmm. you know, but you are going to lessen their chances of coming back. If you are just pulling and pulling and begging them to stay, that's not fair to them. And that's not fair to you. So I, you know, if people are leaving now, because this is the season of life that I'm in, I'm not entirely convinced that they're going to be gone forever. I just think maybe this season of my life might be too hard for them. And I'm not going to ask for someone to stay in a place where they are uncomfortable ever. No, it's very, it's very true. Um, a lot of people haven't come to that. Yeah. It's you know, uh, so the, the, you know, and unfortunately I think it's, it takes something really, really hard, right. To recognize that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my life, uh, outside of cancer, um, has not been easy. I mean, genuinely like my life has been a series of bad events to be completely transparent. And so, um, when this happened, honestly, I was, I was ready. I mean, I knew I had the BRCA gene. I knew it was coming. I didn't think was going to come this soon. Um, but because of the events leading up to this from my childhood up until now, um, a lot of the things I'm saying are not just thoughts that have come with this cancer. They are things that have been manifesting for many, many years from a very young age too. That's a good point, right? That sometimes it doesn't all happen at, at once. Right. And I think the cancer diagnosis at such a young age as well has just exemplified all of the things that I thought I was learning. And it turns out that I already knew them. Uh, it just, it happened to be this circumstance and this unfortunate event that has kind of sped up the process of realizing a lot of things that I think it takes most adults, most of their life to learn. Yeah, no, that that is really true. 
Was there anything about the last, you know, the better part of 2021, mm-hmm. you know, going through it that I don't want to say surprised you because this is all very new to you, right? So, but it was different than what you had thought it would be or just kind of took you completely, you know, off guard kind of thing. The cancer treatment part and yeah. all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, <laughs> I'm going to say the whole thing because that's just how it is. But uh, to be more specific, I think no one prepared me for how sick I was going to get. You hear about side effects. You hear about throwing up. You hear about um, being weak and fatigued. But I mean, to be completely transparent, this is not meant to scare anybody. I thought I was going to die from the chemo, not even the cancer. I thought the chemo was going to take me out. And so I was not prepared for that. Uh, I was not. The thing I think that has been the most shocking to me is the way that people talk to you uh, when they find out that you have cancer. It's almost like they start sharing all of their favorite memories with you and kind of like you're dying when there's nothing indicating that this cancer is going to kill me. Um, And so that has been really hard for me on on a mental front. Uh, And then physically just the, I mean, my red blood cell count and my hemoglobin levels still have not recovered. And so I am very tired all of the time. I get very dizzy when I stand up too fast or if I sit down too fast. Um, I kind of thought, you know, you started chemo, you ended chemo. And in that window only is when you had side effects from chemo. Uh, I didn't, was not prepared for the long-term effects. Right. So, um, I have horrible, horrible joint pain that I thought only happened with Taxol. I was convinced. I was like, Oh, no more Taxol, no more bone pain wrong. And so just, I wish I knew, I wish I knew what I was getting into, uh, I still would have done it, you know, but I think had I been a little bit more mentally prepared for how weak I was going to be, um, like no one ever warned me that I would be 24 years old and having to crawl to the bathroom because I couldn't walk because I was so weak. Um, it just scared me. I was just so scared and I wasn't prepared for how scared I was really going to be. Um, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, I can't believe that I made it through all of it, to be honest with you. Do you think that if you had heard in the beginning, right, when you're sitting with the oncologist and hearing all the side effects, if you had heard that it was going to be that hard, that you would have thought about it or felt differently? And the reason that I ask is because as an oncologist, I really try to be as open and transparent, as honest as possible. But you also, you know, I also don't, some, like you're going through all the chemo side effects, right? And you see people's eyes go wide when you're like going through the whole thing. And the last thing you want to do is just also this, well, it's going to be awful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, wh- what would you have now in retrospect, what do you think would have been the way to kind of have that preparedness? Yeah, um, that's a that's a really good question, actually. So I think for me, the reason it felt so scary is because I thought that no one else experienced these things. And so I thought it was me specifically, like, oh, my gosh, I'm I'm dying from this. No one else's. This wasn't on the list. This is awful. And so I think the thing that would have been really helpful is best case scenario absolute worst case scenario, even if it absolutely terrifies them, because at least they know 
in that moment, okay, I'm having to crawl to the bathroom because I have no strength to get out of bed to walk, but other people could be going through this too. This isn't just me. I'm not having this adverse, horrible, terrible reaction to chemo. I'm not going to die here on the floor getting to the bathroom. I think a lot of it was not the side effects per se, but because I thought I was the only one experiencing them because they were not talked about in the uh, chemo education. So I think that would have just been really, really helpful. Um, Terrifying, absolutely terrifying. But I think I would have been, I would have preferred to be terrified for 24, 48 hours versus being scared for 20 weeks. Um, I just lived in fear the whole time because a lot of my side effects were not talked about. And so I thought, oh, the chemo must not be working. Oh, the cancer is spreading. Oh, I'm having a reaction because it wasn't really talked about too much. And it, again, it's that validation, right? It's that acknowledgement of your experience yeah, and the validation that you are not alone and that there, yeah. this is normal and this is expected, right. but it is, it's a fine line because um, you want to make people feel like, okay, I can do this. I can get through it. But then when the side effects are severe, it's, it's, it's really hard. I get that. Even, even offering the autonomy to make the choice of, Hey, like, do you want to hear about the worst case scenario? And they can choose, you know, yes or no. I think if I would have been asked that question, I would have said, yeah, I want to know how bad can this really get? Um, because just saying nausea and vomiting does not even begin to cover the things that I experienced, you know? And again, I thought something was really wrong with me. Um, but it turns out that like some odd percent of people do vomit a lot mm-hmm. on chemotherapy, but you know, it's just, if you're brushing over and, uh, and honestly, I mean, I know probably there's a reasoning and logistics behind why you do chemo education so soon after everything. But I like, I had two weeks between or a week and a half between my chemo education and my first chemo. And so I, I, all of those side effects, all that information I was given was thrown out the window. I've had a week and a half now to Google and call family and friends and get my Amazon wish list together. And, you know, and so I think honestly, like those side effects should be reviewed like the day of chemo mm-hmm. and maybe for the first couple of chemos to remind yourself like, Hey, these are the things that are going to happen. Uh, and I mean, you know how it goes at, you're going to find out physically for yourself within about three days. Um, I was just, I was so scared. I was just so scared on top of being sick. I was just so scared. I really think that's an important point. We actually do our chemo education within a week. I will not do it any uh, earlier than a week. And I try to do it kind of closer, like two to three days, because you're right. You for not that you forgot it. You just kind of put it out of your mind. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of times people experience side effects you know, even though, yes, kind of the first cycle is you can hear the list of side effects, but you don't know what's going to happen to you. Right. And so then you live it. And Mm -hmm. then it's a whole other kind of knowledge of what the, what, what does it really mean to have bad reflux and nausea and vomiting and diarrhea and and all of that? Because you can hear it, but unless you're going through it, it's very different. And I, and yeah, I know that's such a great point because it's, you know, as someone who was, I've had my fair share of medical things in the past and I've had some, this, that, and the other, but 
there is a difference between being nauseous and being chemo nauseous. I mean, those are just two very different things. And so I think just saying nausea and moving on is kind of doing a disservice, right? Because I, I mean, again, like, I think it should be their choice, but what I honestly, if I look back on it, what I would like, what I wish my oncologist would have said is there may be days where all you do is fight nausea and throw up that might happen to you because that's exactly what happened to me. But when we went over the chemo education, it was just like, Oh, nausea and vomiting are common. Any other questions? And it's like, uh, no, you don't know what questions to ask. You've never done this before. Maybe you have, but you yeah, know, well, that's, that's the whole thing. How do you know what to expect? That's why starting chemo or starting any, you know, cancer treatment is so scary because you've never done this before. Right. You know, right. You, you've never had that experience. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything that we didn't talk about um, that you want to bring up? Um, the only thing, just because I want to use this opportunity, is screening for people under 40. Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah, I am just very passionate uh, about uh, women and, I mean, men too, but women specifically under 40, quite honestly, under 30, 35, to advocate for yourself. Get angry if you have to. You are not there to be your doctor's friends. You are not there to uh, make them like you and or not like you. You are there to potentially save your own life. And if that means you demand scans because of maybe you have a family history or you have a lump that hasn't gone away or X, Y, Z, I just ask that you don't allow medical professionals, and not all of them do this, but a lot of them do, unfortunately, don't allow them to dismiss your concerns. If that means you have to go somewhere else, then go somewhere else. Um, because, and I don't know the statistic and maybe you might, but I know that there is a huge uprise right now in um, breast cancer diagnosis among women and specifically women under 40. And, uh, and you know, the uh, American Cancer, what is it? Society? The American Cancer Society. Is bring up things to 45 now or whatever that whole debacle is about. But I just really encourage women under 40 and over 40, but under 40 to really be an advocate for yourself. If you know something's wrong, trust your gut, trust your body. Uh, if you have to find multiple medical professionals, then that's what you do. Um, but don't ever take, well, you're overreacting or, oh, it's just this. Oh, it's just that. Don't take that as an answer. And if that is truly what's happening, because thankfully a lot of the time, most of the time, that's what it is. Ask, you know, ask for further education, ask how to do an appropriate self, you know, breast exam, mm -hmm. ask for, well, when is the appropriate time to start getting scans? How often should I be coming to see you? What does, what can a lump feel like? What could it look like? You know, um, and I could talk about this for forever, but I'm just very passionate about young women advocating for yourself, uh, especially when it comes to, to your own body. You know, you're you're absolutely right. You know, about 5% of all breast cancers are diagnosed in people under 40. And there's kind of, there's many parts to it, but we believe, you know, screening should start for the average risk woman at the age of 40. So the way that the guidelines are right now is you should start at 45, but you can consider between 40 and 45. I don't think anyone should consider. I think it's you're 40 and you should Go and start getting your mammogram, right? There's too many people diagnosed between 40 and 45 that you would miss that. 
Um, but if you're not of average risk, you have a BRCA mutation, you have a family history, you have a different kind of genetic mutation, whatever, you know, you had radiation to the chest as a young child, whatever those risk factors are, you would start earlier than that. So I think it's really important for everybody to know what their risk is. Yeah. And, but on the flip side, forgetting about screening for a second, just like what you said, when you feel something, so knowing what's normal for your body, knowing what's not normal, um, and you have to have a doctor or healthcare provider that you trust that's going to yeah. listen to you. And if they're not going to listen to you, um, then you find somebody else. But exactly. you don't exactly. want to ignore. I'd rather people get a ton of scans and also be told, yep, it's normal. It's a cyst. It's related to your menstrual period than to miss something. And I can't tell you the number of people that I see that have I don't want to say misdiagnosed, but we're told, oh, it's, it's mastitis. So it's this, so it's that because yes, young women don't get breast cancer until they do. Right. Thank you. Yes. And I think the last little thing is very personal to me is like I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation is I waited 41 days to go to the doctor because I was afraid of getting COVID in the doctor's office. Uh, and so the, on top of advocating for yourself, schedule your appointment. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wear your mask, do all of the right things to prevent yourself from getting sick because, and there's no way I could ever tell, but by waiting 41 days, I, sometimes I wonder, would my staging have been different? Would I be in a completely different position? I will never know. And I don't think about that too often, but don't let COVID get in the way of you not doing something that could potentially save your life. Yeah. I mean, I, and I will say we're dealing with this a little bit less, but I'm still hearing it every day. Well, I COVID and no one, I mean, this isn't March of 2020. People are not getting COVID in medical offices anymore. It's just not right. happening. Um, and so wear a mask, get your screening, make that appointment. And the, the last piece I'll say before we wrap up is that this goes not just for breast cancer screening, this goes for getting your pap smear, getting your colonoscopy, getting all of that. But what we are seeing is a lot of doctors left the workforce because of COVID, right? So a lot of older people who were thinking about retiring kind of used the COVID and, and they retired. Now, and people haven't gone to their gynecologist or their primary care in, in two years. So you call and they're like, oh, we can see you in April, you know, in, in seven months from now, whatever. And yeah. so people aren't making that appointment because they're like, well, I, I need something sooner, but you can't get anything sooner. So now you have no appointment. Right. Just make something like don't delay any further because it's where we are seeing. I think one of the things that people don't talk about is the impact on health from COVID out, outside of COVID. Right. Not just getting COVID that we are going to see in 10, 15, 20 years that you're going to see huge repercussions of this that we're already starting to see, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's like you said, I, I don't think I could have said it better if I was very thankful to have gotten into my doctor two weeks later. Um, but again, it's a lot of the genetic predisposition. I was taken very seriously by my, my primary care doctor. But yeah, I, I think if I were to try to schedule a mammogram right now, I think you're right. I mean, I think you're honestly accurate about it being next year before yeah. I even get in, if I weren't to have any of these other, uh, you know, so I think it's really important. Um, and if you're listening to this and you're having trouble getting in, like message me, message, you know, message us, we can help you. Um, and speaking of a chance, where can people find you on social media if they want to connect with you? So I know you advocate a lot on your platform and do a lot. Yeah, of love, I would love to connect with you guys. Uh, my Instagram name is just at chance Colleen. 
Um, that's C-H-A-N-C-E. And then Colleen is C-O-L-L-E-E-N. Um, that's really the platform that I utilize the most specifically for this, these kinds of conversations. Profile is, is public. So there's, you know, there shouldn't be any reason why you can't get a hold of me. And I would love, 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 love to chat with some of you guys. Thank you so much for doing this. This was wonderful. Of course. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been amazing. Thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. Chance is an incredible woman and I learned so much from this conversation and I hope that you did too. You can follow her on Instagram at Chance Colleen. And as always, you can connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Dr. Diplinski. If you enjoyed this episode or any others of the podcast, I would be so honored if you could leave a rating or, and or review for the show on Apple Podcasts as that is the best way to help me grow the podcast and bring it to new listeners. Thank you all again for tuning in and I will see you soon. Take care.